I'd, in, uh, I'd invite you to open your Bibles up to Isaiah 55, Isaiah 55, and then uh, ask you a question if we can just talk about how important it is for a thing to have purpose. Uh, this is a white shirt. Now, I know that you can obviously observe that and you understand that this is a white shirt because you can uh, see colors. And even if you can't see colors, you can tell that this is a white shirt. I, I really, really like this white shirt. I, I have a particular fondness for it. Oh, let me tell you why. Why is because every, every white shirt that I have ever had has basically been see-through. Right, like this is this is the problem with white collared shirts for men is that uh, in general they are see through. I remember even having professors in college who would wear white shirts all the time and shirts and ties, and you could see the sleeve of their undershirt uh, underneath the white shirt that they're wearing. Right, and so I uh, I found it to be distracting. I found it to be bothersome, and I have had trouble finding a good white shirt. I really really like this white dress shirt. My wife found this for me at a very good price, right? And it is like, I am so glad that she was able to find it because it's not, it's, it's not see-through. It's kind of this like thick material, right? I like this white shirt. Imagine with me that someone spills coffee on the ground. And then uh, like just a really unlikely scenario, uh, there's no mops around anywhere, there's no rags, there's no paper towels, there's nothing sitting around. In fact, the only thing that is there is, um, uh, sitting on the counter is this very special white shirt of mine. Uh, and so, so this is the only usable cloth. So now, what you have to do, like you have to clean the coffee up, you can't just let the coffee sit there, right? So somebody takes this white shirt and uses it to wipe up the coffee, right? And so now what has happened is that this white shirt has become a rag for cleaning up mistakes, right? That's kind of its function. And this is a problem because I bought this shirt so that I could wear it, right? I didn't buy this shirt for cleaning up coffee. And I bought it so that it could be a nice white shirt and not a brown shirt, right? So it's now a rag, and I proceed to be very sad about this situation because this shirt has fallen far short of the purpose for which I bought it, right? Okay, so, okay, let's, let's illustrate the same concept a different way. Um, I, Christmas time, I have to come up with a Christmas list. Uh, this is what people ask me. They ask me, what do you want on your Christmas list? By the way, I'm terrible with com coming up with a Christmas list because in general, I feel like I have everything I need, right? It's hard for me to imagine the things that I don't need. Now, here's the thing. If someone gets me a gift, how I evaluate my need is, do I have all the things I need to meet the various purposes that they might have in my life? And what I know is that if somebody gets me a gift... That, that I already have something that's meeting the purpose that that thing meets, then I'm grateful that somebody gave me the gift and I might use it for a month, but then eventually that thing will sit on a shelf somewhere or go into a drawer somewhere because I already have something that's meeting the purpose for which the thing was given to me. Right, so if I already have something that fulfills the purpose, the new gift will not have a purpose and will eventually collect dust, right? That's the kind of concept 
that we're talking about. And I know that I'm not the only one who has this experience, right? We all have this kind of experience. So why am I talking about the idea of purpose? Let me tell you that in just a second. Today, we are continuing a series called Glory. Now, last week, we defined God's glory, what God's glory is. God's glory is the substance of his significance over and above all things. And we talked about how the words used in Scripture to convey his glory to us are light and weight, right? They're, and their they're brilliance, their radiance, their heaviness, right? These are the words that are used in Scripture. And these words try to attempt to communicate to us the impact of what it is to be in God's glory, what people experience when they're in God's glory, so that when they walk into his presence, they're the thing that makes people go, oh, he's the most significant being in the whole universe, right? So, now, we, we, we talk about this all the time. I don't think, like, we've now been through, like, five or six sermons, and I don't think I've spent one sermon not talking about this reality. The Bible says that human beings were created in God's image, right? What is an image? An image is a reflection, right? It's a, it's a mirror. It's giving us a picture. If, if we were created in God's image, then what that means is that we were meant to reveal something to the world about who God is. We reflect him. We were created to be in God's glory and reflect God's glory. That's what that means when it says that we were created in God's image. We were created to be in God's glory and reflect God's glory. That is core to our purpose. That is the thing for which we were created. That is central to why we exist. We were created to reflect God's glory so that the world would look at us and say, God is the most significant being in all the universe. So last week we described a problem. That problem starts with our corruption. We fell, we disobeyed, we chose our own way. And here's the thing about corruption and glory. They cannot exist in the same place at the same time. If, if God's glory is light and weight and corruption is in his presence, in his glory, then uh, to be in his glory would to be, be uh, burned and blinded and crushed, right? We talked about this reality. So this is what God did. When humanity fell, when humanity became corrupted, he said, I'm moving you out of the garden. You cannot be where I am. I'm removing you from my presence. And this was a grace of God to remove humanity from his presence because if they would remain in his glory, they would have been burned and blinded and crushed. So God removes them from his glory. Only problem is, at that point, it becomes impossible for us to fulfill the purpose for which we were created. Right? We can no longer meet our purpose because we were removed from his glory. Right? If we were created to reflect his glory to the world and we're removed from his glory, then we no longer have something to reflect. We can't be with him, then we can't reflect him. So the basic concept is, that's presented to us, is that we are blank mirrors without any light to reflect. It's essentially like taking a mirror and putting it in the middle of a dark room and shutting all the lights out. What is that mirror even there for? It can't do anything if it doesn't have light to reflect. Okay, so now we're going to consider the book of Isaiah together. And this is the reality. We've been removed from our purpose. We are blank mirrors without light to reflect. 
Isaiah says a lot of things, and one of the things that it talks about most frequently are, are the kinds of the series of events that are going to take place at the end of time. Isaiah is a very end times oriented kind of book. And so this is what Isaiah talks about a lot in end times. He says that, the God, that God's glory is going to break into the world, that God's glory is going to be revealed, that people will see God's glory, that God will come and be with his people, that the earth will be full of God's glory. Isaiah talks about all of this stuff all over the place, all the way through the book. And so here are just some clear examples of that. Isaiah 11.10 says, in that day, that's the great day, the future day that the Lord is looking to, in that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. What this is talking about is it's saying, hey, there's somebody who's called the root of Jesse, which by the way, we can just know that that's talking about Jesus, right? Jesus is the root of Jesse, the one who is coming, and uh, he's going to come, and people, he's going to stand there, he's going to be like a signal, and, and people are going to want to know about him, right? Not just, by the way, Israel, but it says that the nations are going to inquire of him. Now, that's very interesting because we have an entire world that's been broken by sin, an entire world full of people who can't fulfill their purpose, but it says that people are going to inquire of Jesus and that his resting place shall be glorious. Now, that's very interesting. Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5, hints at this. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The idea that's being presented here is, yes, God at one time has been separated from people, but God is coming, right? He, make, make his way. He needs space to enter in. He needs a highway. Prepare for him to come. And then it says this in verse 4, every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. What you have is the image of equalization, right? Uh, of fixing the things that are uneven, of renovating that which is broken. And then in verse 5 it says this, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh so, shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So the story of humanity, we have been removed from God's glory, but there's a day coming when the glory of God will be revealed, and all flesh, the whole world, everybody is going to witness it and see it, because this is what God has promised. These are, by the way, throughout the book of Isaiah, Incredibly hopeful promises that God's people get to hear because they know the problem. They're very aware of the problem. They have been removed from God's glory. And in fact, they have this situation in Israel where the only place that God's glory exists is in the temple. That's, that's kind of their only access to it. And there are all of these rules and structures about how you have to approach it. And only one person actually gets to be in God's glory every year. Uh, and, and beyond that, you have to perform all of these sacrifices in order to maintain God's glory being there in that place. But somehow, someday, God's glory is going to be present and visible for all flesh to witness together. 
So our main passage this morning is Isaiah 55, and it focuses in, and really what it does, if, if God's glory, if we've been separated from God's glory, and now uh, God is coming to be with people, his glory will be able to be seen, Isaiah 55 focuses us in on the how. How is this going to be accomplished? So, verse one of Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. How ironic that a person who has no money is invited to come and buy. Literally what God is saying is take what you don't have and use it to purchase all that I have to give you, right? He's, he, he's saying make an exchange. Oh, and by the way, in the exchange, you give nothing and I give you everything. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now, this is imagery, imagery that God is using to speak in. He's giving an invitation for people to find sustenance, to find food, to find drink. Now, this is not literally about food, right? There's something deeper going on that God is talking about. The food is a picture of something, but of what? Well, I'd invite you to just consider the question, what is our chief deficiency? What is the thing that we lack? We have been removed from God's glory. Meaning we don't have a purpose. We cannot fulfill the thing for which we were created. We are strikingly unable to do the very core purpose that we were made for. And so our creator intended something and we have desperately lost our way. And here is God saying, come. For those who lack, I have supply. That's his invitation. Verse two, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? He's saying, y'all are trying to sustain yourselves with things that cannot satisfy. He talks to all of them, all the peoples, all at the same time, and he says, you are trying to supply with things that have no supply. They're barren. They cannot give to you what you need. I think of mud cakes. Maybe you know about mud cakes. Maybe you don't. But in Haiti, especially, especially after uh, the economic collapse of 2008, what happened is that the people in Haiti, uh, there, there was just low supply of food, low supply of access to food. And so what has been done in Haiti is they, uh, they will take the mud and the clay, and they'll, they'll make it into little biscuits, little cookies, and they'll lay them out on stone slabs because there are still minerals inside of the mud. There are minerals, and so they're trying to supply some kind of nutrition to their body, and so they, they lay these mud cakes out, and this is, this is how they find their sustenance. Now, what we know as we have watched the Haitian people try to eat mud cakes is that they don't actually supply the kind of nutrition that their body needs. Right? They don't give them what they need. Right? They're trying to eat these things. They're trying to find supply and sustenance for their body, but at the end of the day, they can never keep up with the kind of nutrition that their body needs. So being removed from our purpose in God's glory, this is what we do. We try to find glory in things that are not glorious, and then reflect their glory. Right? We, we make false gods out of things that have no substance. 
We go into the darkness with our mirrors and try to reflect the darkness into the darkness. We give our bodies to substances and pleasures. We give our minds to distractions and empty philosophies. We idolize and worship relationships as an attempt to somehow reflect glory because that's what we were created for. But there's no glory in those things. They can't do it. They don't have the power to accomplish what we're seeking it to do. And God's question is this. Why? Why do you keep doing this? Why keep running to these things that cannot supply? Stop eating the mud cakes because I have something truly satisfying for you. If you will just come and eat. Buy for free. Verse three. Sorry, from there in verse two he says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Now, what's happening here is parallelism. So we're understanding what the, the eating illustration is telling us. He's saying, uh, eat by listening to what I have to say. I have words to share with you. God says, you know what? I have some sustenance for you, and that sustenance is a message. I have a message about some satisfaction that is coming your way. So listen to what I have to say. Verse three, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Now, if you don't spend your days reflecting on and reading Old Testament prophecy all the time, uh, why, you, you may not understand why this message about his steadfast and sure love for David is actually an incredibly hopeful message carrying with it very deep satisfaction. And so, I want to help us understand real quick why this is a satisfying message. Why is this a satisfying message? Number one, it is all about a trustworthy commitment, right? God says, I will make a covenant with you. Now, for what it's worth, you is not Israel, because we know that in the book of Isaiah, when God is talking to Israel, he refers to Israel in the singular, right? But this you is actually referring, it's like saying all y'all, right? Uh, all y'all is the plural version of you, right? So God is saying, for all y'all, I have something to give you, right? This is, and he's saying, I'm going to make a covenant with you, right? So this is a covenant for what it's worth. It's just simply an, another word for a trustworthy commitment that God is going to hold to his word. He's going to make a commitment to us. So number two, it's for all people, right? That's the, the significant part. This is not just for Israel. This is for everybody everywhere. Number three, it points to a future glorious king. So this, this thing about David, we know that, that God gave a promise to David about his, what we would call his, quote, son, right? One who was coming in his line, and this is what it says. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, it talks about this uh, one who is coming in David's line, this one who is coming after David. It says, under his rule, there will be no violence, right? There will be peace. It says that he will love God like a father, and God will love him like a son, and that his reign will last forever. This is what this promise to David is all about. Right, so it points to a future glorious king. Number four, this covenant, so covenants for what it's worth sometimes, they are based in what you can do, right, in your performance, right? So, so God will keep up his end of the, of the deal if you keep up your end of the deal, but this covenant is not based in what you do. It says, it equates the making of the everlasting covenant with his love 
for David or his love for this one who is coming after David, his love for his son, right? It, this covenant, is based in nothing except God's love for this king who is coming. That's the basis of this covenant, right? Which means that you can rely upon it because God has promised that he will love this king like a son and this king will love him like a father. God's commitment to all people is grounded in his love for the king. And number five, it is forever. It will not fade. It will last. So now spoilers. The king is Jesus. That's the king that they're talking about, right? And this is what, that's kind of what we know this side of time and history. So, th- so essentially what God is saying is this. Are you lacking purpose and hope? I have something truly good for you to feast on. Listen to my message. I will extend a commitment to all people that is based in my love for my son, the king. Verse four says this. Behold, I made him, now we're talking about the king, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. God is speaking about the king, his son, Jesus. He says, I made him a witness. He's essentially saying, you know what I did? I gave him a message, right? So first, God had a message for us, and then he's saying, I'm giving a message to Jesus, and he's going to share that message as a witness. It's a word that means testifying in court. He's sharing the truth of the things that he has been given, and what happens as a result for that? I made him a witness to the people, and as a result, people heard his message, and then he became a leader and commander for the people. Like, from that message that he carried, people followed him. And God says, if you're here this morning, like this is what you can know, if you're here in this room this morning and you are trusting Jesus, it is because you've heard that same message and he's your Lord now. So verse five, behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. So what God has done is now he's moved from talking to all y'all, then he uh, changed direction. He said, I'm gonna talk about him And now he's moved to talking about you, singular. The you, singular, he is now addressing Jesus. We get an insight now into a conversation happening between God and Jesus. He says, behold, you, Jesus, shall call a nation that you do not know. And a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Because the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. God is talking to this king, and this is what he's saying to this king. He's actually telling Jesus a fuller version of the message that he's already given to us about this king. This is, he's saying, this is what I have to say to you, O king, whose reign will last forever. Israel alone is not the nation that will follow you. No, this nation that will follow you is bigger than Israel. In fact, people who have no connection to Israel, you would have no knowledge of them, people who have no connection, they'll flock to you and you will call them to yourself. And you will not just be a king over Israel, but you will be a king who calls out to people over the whole earth. And my son, you will invite them. And my son, they will run to you. Why? He says, because... I have glorified you. I have given you my glory because they will see that we share in the same glory because your glory will be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. The implication for us this morning 
if we need to be in God's glory to truly find our purpose, and Jesus has God's glory, then we need to be with Jesus where he is. And so this is the promise that God gives. God's promise is this. A king for all people will bring light for us to reflect. A king for all people will bring light for us to reflect. What that means is that the purpose that we have not been able to live for will be restored. We will somehow be able to begin fulfilling that purpose. Right? We'll become mirrors that can actually work and function because we have light to reflect. We're like stained glass windows that show a picture that you could never see without the light shining through it. And so when we celebrate Christmas... We celebrate that promise coming to fruition. So let's talk just briefly about the way the story has gone from there. Because that's the promise that God gave. God gave a promise that his glory was coming, that people could be restored to their purpose. So I would like to tell you that from the moment Isaiah brought this promise into the world, I would like to be able to tell you that God's glory instantly started breaking in and people started seeing all sorts of things that indicated God's glory was here, but that's not what happened. In fact, the next major thing that happened with God's glory, it left. It was gone. Ezekiel chapter 10. Ezekiel gets a vision. God's glory is being taken up uh, with the angels. The angels take the glory out of the temple and God is not with his people. And we hear not of God's glory returning for the rest of the history of Israel, right? 500 years, we hear nothing of God's glory. All of these promises given from Isaiah about how God's glory is coming, but God takes, his, takes it away because he refused to put up with the outright blatant rebellion that was happening in Israel. But God does not make light of his promises. He made a commitment, right? An everlasting covenant. His glory would not be gone forever. So 500 years later, in a little field, in the side of a little town, this is what happens. Luke 2, verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. This is amazing. Because what had been taken out of the world... In this verse, we see now returning to be present in the world. The glory of the Lord is there. It shines, and the shepherds, as they see it, are filled with great fear. In the moments of time around Jesus' birth, because that's when this is happening, is at the same basic time that Jesus' birth is happening, in a nearby field, an angel appeared, and after 500 years of God's glory not being there, God's glory had come back to earth. And what accompanies God's glory breaking into the world? A message about a king. Verse 10, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all y'all. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Any of this sound familiar? links right to the concepts presented in the book of Isaiah. God came to tell people that were scrambling to fill themselves with mud cakes, saying, you know what, I've got a message about a glorious king. 
And then God's glory shows up in the middle of a field, and an angel says, you know what, I've got a message about a glorious king. And what does that king do? Well, he brings the glory of God into the lives of people, extends the benefits of the kingdom. We just track the life of Jesus from the moment he was born all the way through. We see the, the benefits of God's glory being on the earth, being extended to people. Sick people are being healed. Demons are being driven out. Do you know why demons are being driven out? Because they recognize the substance of the being who, who represents God, who is God himself, right? The, the, the significance of him over all things. They can understand something of his glory and they cannot help but obey his commands when he speaks to them, right? He drives out demons, he heals people, he raises people from the dead. And all the while, Jesus has a message accompanying his glory. And the message, I mean, we, Don and I, we have been talking about just the life of Jesus. His primary message throughout his life, kind of up until the last few months of his ministry, the primary thing that he told the people, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. The implication is the king is here. The one that you've been waiting for, the one who accompanies God's glory is here. So the next place, God's glory is revealed powerfully after that. After we see Jesus through his ministry, uh, we see him in a place. Him, Peter, John, and James, they go up to a mountain to pray. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 29, it says, As he was praying, Jesus was praying, the, the appearance of his face was altered. He looked different than anything that he had ever seen, and his clothing became dazzling white. That's why I like my white shirt, y'all, just so you know. Uh, his clothing became dazzling white, and behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory. This moment, they see Jesus as his glory is being revealed there on top of this mountain, as they're praying together. And then Peter gets a little crazy. He wants to worship all three of them because he's kind of just insane. But then uh, verse 34 of Luke 9 says this. It says, as Peter was saying these things, a cloud came. Now, if you're familiar with Old Testament imagery of what the glory of God, what happens when the glory of God is present, is that a cloud comes and fills the place. What this is telling us is that the glory of God was showing up there on the mountain, like it did back in Exodus when Moses received the law, like it did in the temple when a cloud filled the temple and God's glory was there. A cloud came on top of this mountain and they were afraid. And a voice came out of the cloud with a message. This is my son my chosen one. Listen to him. And then you get a king dying a sinner's death to make sinners clean. And then you get a resurrection from death. And then all of these things are the glory of God breaking into the world. And then you get a glorious ascension where the disciples are there with Jesus and uh, they're, they're watching Jesus kind of rise up into the sky, this kind of glorious moment. And then you get a message from an angel who says, what are you looking up in the sky for? The king is coming back. In the meantime, you have a job to do. Right? So this is, this is the job, by the way. Jesus gave them this job description before he left. He says, uh, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, third person of the Godhead. The implication is the glory of God will reside in you and you will be my witnesses. You will have a message 
to take to other people and to carry to them. And it won't just be for Jerusalem. And it won't just be for Judea. And it won't just be for Samaria. You're going to take it to the end of the earth for the whole world. And then you have the disciples praying. And then the glory of God descends in the person of the Holy Spirit and resides in people. And what's the next thing to happen? You get messages in 15 different languages. All these people speaking the messages of the glory of God to each other, understanding each other, each in their own language. And then after that, Peter stands up and preaches a message and 3,000 people are added to the church that day. They believed in the king. Okay, so if you're, not, if you're not tracking with me, this is what's happening. The glory of God is breaking into the world. It comes with a message about a glorious king. So if you read the rest of the book of Acts, people keep proclaiming the message. The Holy Spirit keeps falling. People keep believing. And interestingly enough, especially non-Israelites keep believing. You get tons of real estate devoted to Paul and Barnabas, and they take this message. They're missionaries throughout the Roman Empire. People keep proclaiming. And, and literally, people from all sorts of nations start believing. The Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of these people, and they experience... Something like this. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. The experience of all of the people who are turning to Jesus. Verse 16, it says, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The veil related to glory, for what it's worth. The veil is the thing that kept you separated from glory. When Moses was with the people and he spent time with God, his face would be shining so bright. And the people of Israel are like, dude, you got to do something about your face because it is oppressive to us, right? you got to put a bag over that, man. Like, so, so they, Moses literally put a veil over his face to protect the people from the glory that was reflecting off of him. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, the, the one who has taken up residence in you when you believed in Jesus, there is freedom. Verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Okay, let's, let's stop for just a second. I realize that I have been moving a little fast, so you might have missed what happened. How did we start? We started talking about how we have been created for a purpose and that we cannot fulfill that purpose. What's the purpose? Well, we're mirrors. We're stained glass windows, right? We are the things that are meant to image God, but if we do not have light, we are pointless. We don't have purpose. Did you notice what started to happen in Acts chapter two? Human beings started reflecting the light again. They carried it with them. They shared it with others. And then those people started reflecting the light again. And they carried it with them. And they shared it with others. And then those people who heard it believed and they carried it with them and they shared it with others. And if you're a believer in Jesus here this morning, you have been invited into God's glory, your purpose to feast on the gifts that he's given us in Jesus.
to see Jesus in all his worth and majesty, to have the presence of God living inside of you and to experience his renovation of your soul, his renewal of who you are, transforming you into his image, uh, to take the message of his glory and to share it with all people. So where are we now? Where are we now? I want to tell you the story of one church, our church, 2,000 years after Jesus walked the earth. Can I just mention to you some things about the implications of this for us? Uh, so first of all, we are, uh, we are a body of believers, right? We are believers in Jesus. Uh, we have this message that we've responded to, right? And, and we meet a third of, of the way around the world from where all of this stuff happened. Right, so that's what's happening right now. We're a third of the way around the world from where all of this took place uh, 2,000 years later. We bear the glory of God and a message about a king. That's one thing that we do. And then uh, in this town, Bartlett, in the school down the street, we host Crossroads. And do you know what we do with Crossroads? Like, quite literally, we carry the glory of God with us there and a message about a king. Right, and then in the next town over, we have a school in Hanover Park, and we go there, and we carry the glory of God with us, and a message about a king into that place. And then in the next town over in Streamwood this year, we had an alpha class in somebody's living room, and people came, and we carried the God with us, carried God, uh, the glory of God with us, and a message about a king. And, and then uh, in, in Hanover Park this year, somebody hosted an online alpha with people all around the nation, and they carried the, the glory of God with them and a message about a king. And in our church, we just happen to have the CEO of Crossroads, who is a part of this church, who is working internationally to help Crossroads carry the glory of God with them into schools and into the lives of kids with a message about a king. And in our church, we have believers in the gospel recently coming to this church who are from Cameroon, Africa, who are from Ukraine, who are from Korea. And you know what? Those people, they bear the glory of God with a message about a king, and we are joined together with them. And then connected to our church, we have the Taubies who visited us back in November. Uh, they're returning to Uruguay. And then we have the Fars who are currently in Germany that we're connected to. We support them as they carry the glory of God with a message about a king. And that's the story of one small church. Right? That's the thing that we've been invited into. Connected to the glory of God, breaking in around the world, as people who carry a message about good news of great joy that is for all people. A king, a savior has come. He invites you into God's glory by paying for your sins with his death. That's how he covers over your corruption. And then he rose from death and he ascended into heaven and he is coming again to make every wrong thing right. Trust him believe in him. That's the message that we have been carrying, and people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, from the moment this message started going out, have seen his glory and have trusted him. So I just want you to hear uh, back in Isaiah 55 now, because uh, Isaiah 55 ends, and we're not going to walk through it. I'm just going to read it. I want you to hear what it says at the end of Isaiah 55, after God speaks this message about a glorious king. Verse 6 says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the un unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. Return to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. 
Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bear forth and sprout, so shall my message be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So what? Number one, stop eating mud cakes. You were made to reveal his glory. That's what you were made for. Right? The things that we are inclined to think make our lives valuable, those things are fleeting. Right? They make crappy gods. The more we give ourselves to them, the more we reflect darkness into the darkness. But we were made for so much more. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You, not, not me, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Now, he is the light of the world, but here's the point. He's saying, you are the light of the world, meaning the light goes out by me reflecting through you. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. We got the kids up here last week singing, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. I'm not gonna hide it under a bushel. Verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I invite you this morning, if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, to surrender to him. Give your life to him. If you've trusted him, but you're here this morning and you find yourself, either you've backslidden in your faith or you have uh, rebelled against him in some way, I want to tell you this morning, return to him. Let him make you new. Let him shine through you. Find the purpose that you have been separated from and reveal his glory to those around you through your words and actions. Number two. All of this glory broke in when a baby arrived. This morning, uh, as we look forward to Christmas Day, we are actually gonna reflect together by remembering the night that God's glory broke into the world so that he might make a new people out of every kind of people from everywhere. So we're gonna worship and close our service by singing Silent Night together. And so this is what's gonna happen. You should have received a candle on your way in. We're gonna worship by candlelight, so we'll have the, in um, a moment after I pray, we'll have the lights come down. And as his light came to us and we receive it and then we carry it to others, we're gonna have those who are uh, kind of closest to the inside of your rows here have you walk forward and get some light from the table and share it with those who are next to you. Uh, and after I pray, we'll have the chance to do that. And so then this, the people who are closest to the middle here, you'll be able to share, uh, share your candles with others so that we can share the light around the room. And we are gonna sing Silent Night together. So with all of that being said, church, would you pray with me as we look forward expectantly to celebrating his birth together? 
Lord Jesus, you are our king. We have heard a message about you and we have become convinced you are the firstborn of all creation. The image of the invisible God, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in you and you shall reign forevermore. Lord, this is a good message and we are grateful that most, if not all of us, though we are not Israelites, we have been privileged to hear the message and to see the glory of God in you and to be recipients of this good news that is for all people. Lord, would you fill up our hearts with gratefulness that we are recipients, but would you not let us stop there? Would you let us be the ones who also reflect it to others through our words and through our actions? Jesus, thank you for this gift that you have given us. As we continue in worship this morning, would you be glorified in all that we say and do? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.